0: Okay, community dental health. First we'll talk about preventative services. You have primary, secondary, and tertiary. Primary is preventative therapies that prevent, arrest, or reverse the disease process. Removing plaque, no sugar diets, and fluoride treatments are examples of primary preventive services secondary is treating or controlling a disease after it occurs so the patient already has periodontitis so this is like periodontal maintenance and then tertiary this is replacing lost tissues in order to rehabilitate rehabilitate oral structures this is like putting in implants and bridges. Um, measuring oral disease, measuring with an indices. So we're going to go over the different categories and what is measured. But the best indice is one that is simple, valid, reliable, clear, sensitive. Quantifiable, Objective, and Accepted. Um, The categories are Reversible, Irreversible, Simple, and Cumulative. So there's really only four types that we'll go over. We have uh, the plaque indices, which I marked on here as OHI. There's a few. Gingival indices, there's two of them. Periodontal indices, there's four. And then dental caries indices, there are a few. All right, so the plaque indices or OHI has, uh, so these are the most common, and these are going to be usually used in the case studies on boards. But first, you have the plaque index, which is PI, uh, produced by stillness and low, used in conjunction with the gingival index, scores plaque according to its thickness at gingival margin. Next is a personal hygiene performance index, which is the PHP. Um, This is reversible. Measures plaque after brushing. So they're assessing the patient's brushing skills. The Oral Hygiene Index, OHI, is small and large, performed in small and large groups. This is reversible. Measures oral hygiene status by assessing sub and supra plaque and calculus next is the gingival indices and remember there's two of those you have the gingival index which is gi and you have the sulcus bleeding index which is sbi gingival index is the most frequently used can be used on an individual basis or in a group based on severity versus the extent of inflammation the sulcus bleeding index is bleeding observations upon dental probing, and it detects early signs of gingivitis. So, remember, the plaque indices, they're almost all reversible. Gingival indices are the same, almost all reversible. The perio indices and the dental caries indices, a lot of them are irreversible. But we'll get started with the perio indices. Like I said, there's four. And number one is periodontal disease index, which is PDI. It's Ramford created it, uh, used for individuals and groups. This one actually is reversible and irreversible because it measures periodontitis and gingivitis separately. The periodontal index is the next one, and that's just PI. That... uh, is very confusing since you have the plaque index uh is pi as well but okay um index is irreversible russell created it it looks at the surrounding tissue and the validity is questionable because the Uh. clinical attachment loss is not included so but that's a limitation to this one It, it all it does though is it measures period disease status but without the clinical attachment loss next is the community periodontal index of treatment needs which is cpitn this is one of those weird ones that is developed by who who capital letters and requires a special probe that's a limitation as well um determines periodontal needs versus the periodontal status, like what does the patient need versus where they are right now in terms of their disease. And last in the perio indices is periodontal screening and recording, which is PSR. This rapidly assesses periodontal health. It's useful in large populations and as a preliminary screening technique, um, probing depths and evaluating the need for further perio treatment. However, this has a limitation, too, because it requires the special WHO probe. So, all of those ha- require a special probe. They all have limitations except for the first one, which is the PDI, uh, that measures, measures perio and separately. And lastly, we'll talk about the dental caries indices most of those are irreversible so for permanent teeth those are all capitalized letters and those are for adult teeth essentially the primary teeth are all lower cased and so they measure the DMFT which is decayed missing filled teeth and they measure DMFS which is decayed missing filled surfaces. And that's on both permanent and primary. And from what I understand we'll be using these on the case studies. Um yes. The primary teeth has extra ones. They have the DEFT which is decayed Extractions needed, not extracted, like on the permanent teeth. Extractions needed, filled teeth, and extrac- decayed extractions needed, filled surfaces. And then they also have DFT and DFS, which is decayed filled teeth or decayed filled surfaces. And then we have the root caries index, which is RCI. Risk and extent of root caries. No, risk and extraction of root caries is irreversible and it requires the patient to have recession to use the root caries index. CAMBRA, C-A-M-B-R-A, is a caries risk assessment form. Okay. Next, we are going to talk about Um, Implementing a community program. Yay! First step is to conduct a needs assessment. It says board alert because this is important. Um, Conduct a needs assessment. process by which the planner identifies gaps between what is and what ought to be. Depends on recognizing and understanding the target population that will benefit from the program. Some of the reasons for the needs assessment assessment is to define the extent and severity of the problem, identify the cause of the problem, provide a profile of the community, and collect baseline data. So that's the, like, the most important part of what, why do we conduct a needs assessment is to collect that data, we need that. So ways to conduct a needs assessment is through direct observation, An interview, a questionnaire, a survey, epidemiological surveys, which are research-based, or through records and documents and charts. Uh, And then there's a note that says, board alert, know which method of needs assessment works best for the target population. So you want to analyze the time, the costs, and community restraints. So you have to think about all that stuff whenever you get those case studies. Um, Needs assessment considerations. Number one, the need. You got to think of the type of care available. An example is one dental office accepting Medicaid patients in a town of 65,000. The demand... The type of care that's desired. An example is whitening versus restorative procedures. Utilization, which is the actual use of services available by the public. And then the barriers, the obstacles which interfere with care to be provided or received. Okay. Ways to observe needs you want to observe those needs through the eyes of the planner and through the eyes of the target population. Um, And whenever you get down to the nitty-gritty and you start giving those exams, there's four different methods that you can give. So type one (coughs) is a comprehensive examination using a mouth mirror, an explorer, a light, radiographs, Study models, and any other diagnostic tests that may be warranted. This is not practical for most community programs due to the cost and the time constraints and equipment needs. Type 2 is a limited exam, including a mouth mirror, explorer, lighting, and limited radiographs, and access to radiology equipment limits use in community programs. Type 3 Uh, Type 3 and type 4 are highlighted, so they might be the most important. Um, Type 3 examination using a mouth mirror and lighting only. So just a mirror and a light looking in somebody's mouth. And then type 4 exam using a tongue depressor and lighting only. It's literally just a quick look. I don't know anybody that does that. Maybe a doctor. It says be able to differentiate between type three and type four examinations. Okay. Okay, so now we're gonna plan the community program. We're gonna collect that preliminary information and we're gonna look at the funding and resources. So here are some insurance information that I'm gonna spit out that are pretty important. Um, the first one is Medicare. This is health insurance for elderly and disabled. Uh, Medicaid is health insurance for the poor. Both Medicaid and Medicare were created by the Social Security Act of 1965. That's important. Um, COBRA, the Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of 1985. The It requires most employers with group health plans to offer employees the opportunity to continue temporarily their group health care coverage under their employer's plan if their coverage would otherwise cease due to termination layoff or other change in employment status. So We talked about it earlier. And then grants. You have a block grant, which is a lump sum of money given to a group to use at their discretion to meet a need. Or you have a line item grant, which uh, is a lump sum of money given to a group, blah, blah, blah. But they specify where the money is supposed to go, down to the penny. It doesn't go to whatever they, the people need. It's specifically for this and the other. So you have to determine your goals and obje- objectives. The goals um, are broad-based You've got to have your statement of a desired outcome of a program. And your objectives are specific statements describing the steps that must be taken to achieve the overall goal. So your goal is your end game. That's what you want to happen to your outcome. And your objectives are your steps to get there. It must be measurable because that's how you're going to determine if you're making the progress or not. So um, So then you just draft your plan and then implement the program. And we'll talk about the health belief model, HBM. It says, this is a board alert. There are six const- constructs of the HBM. So it starts with perceived susceptibility. This is, it refers to a person's subjective perception of the risk of acquiring an illness or disease. And there's a wide variation on a person's feelings of personal vulnerability to an illness or disease. So that's just what that person thinks. Then we have perceived severity. This refers to a person's Feelings on the seriousness of contracting an illness or disease or leaving the illness or disease untreated. There is wide variation in a person's feelings of severity and often a person considers the medical consequences and social consequences when evaluating the severity. Then we have perceived benefits. This refers to a person's perception of the effectiveness of various actions available to reduce the threat of illness or disease or to cure illness or disease. The course of action a person takes in preventing or curing illness or disease relies on the consideration and evaluation of both perceived susceptibility and perceived benefit such that the person would accept the recommendation or the recommended health action if there, if it was perceived as beneficial. Perceived barriers. This refers to a person's feelings on the obstacles to performing a recommended health action. There's wide variation in a person's feelings of barriers or impediments, which lead to... Uh, cost benefit analysis. The person's going to weigh the effectiveness of the actions against the perceptions that it may be expensive, dangerous, unpleasant, time consuming or inconvenient. Next is a cue to action. This is the stimulus needed to trigger the decision-making process to accept a recommended health action. These cues can be internal such as chest pains or wheezing or external uh, such as advice from others. Uh, an illness of a family member, uh, news, newspaper article, something like that. Um, and then self-efficacy. This is referring to the level of a person's confidence in his or her ability to successfully perform a behavior. This construct was added to the model most recently in the mid-1980s. Self-efficacy is... A construct in many behavioral theories as it directly relates to whether a person performs the desired behavior there are some limitations um, because it doesn't really account for a person's attitudes or beliefs or uh, certain behaviors that are habitual or environmental or economic factors that may pre- prohibit or promote the recommended plan so, it's much more descriptive than explanatory and does not suggest a strategy for changing health-related actions. Um, the most effective use of the model should be integrated with other teaching models. Mm. Stages of learning, this is board worthy, but I've never even heard of these, so we'll just go through them really quickly. Um, Unawareness, the learner has incomplete or inaccurate information. Awareness, there's correct information is obtained, but it does not have a personal meaning for the learner. Self-interest, the learner personalizes the information. Involvement. Old ideas are replaced by new ones. The learner is motivated to act. Action. The learner tests new concepts based on perceived needs. Habit. The learner begins to experience gratification and self satisfaction. Okay. Evaluation must be continuous from the beginning of the program. So remember that. Evaluation continuous from the very beginning of the program. And you have to answer the question, were your objectives met? Uh, Types of evaluations... Summative and formative. Summative is the outcome of an evaluation that measures the impact of the program. Um, An example is comprehensive final examination. So that's summative. Formative is conducted during the program, making sure the audience is engaged. It is apparent that the audience is not responding to the teaching activity a formative evaluation allows the teacher to make the necessary adjustments. Um, so here's another helpful hint is know how dental procedures compare to community dental health procedures. The example is treatment planning in the dental setting is comparable to program planning in the community setting. The primary international organization Devoted to health issues is the World Health Organization, WHO. That's who they are. There are two primary federal organizations concerned with health problems in the U.S. are the Department of Health and Human Services, which is DHHS, and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. Any type of study that is conducted over a long period of time is classified as a longitudinal study because it's a long time. Majority of scores, 68% on a normal curve, will fall between plus 1 and negative 1, standard deviation, and any index that examines surfaces instead of affected teeth is more sensitive. So think surface equals sensitivity. This is true for indices examining permanent or deciduous teeth. And I believe this concludes uh, Community Dental Health. So now I'm going to read some more pertaining to Community Dental Health, but from another book. This is Dental Hygiene National Board Exam Secrets, so NBDHE Secrets Study Guide. So, and this is kind of like where we ended with the other guide, but the governmental levels, the four governmental levels of dental public health is international, is the World Health Organization, the WHO, and they work to support programs in underdeveloped nations to improve or maintain health with minimal equipment. WHO establishes guidelines for primary health care and tracks efficacy of programs internationally federal is like the Department of Health and Human Services so DHHS they fund research and act as an oral and act on oral health problems of national significance the state each state provides consultant services to local departments and administers programs in rural areas not covered by city services. The state governments fund some prevention programs from their maternal and child health services funds. And then you have local. The local governments provide direct services at county and civil city level and initiate dental health legislation such as fluoridation. So the local governments initiate fluoridation in public water. Um, The city and county governments work to provide services to communities within the shrinking availability of federal funds. The need and demand is the next part, and I feel like this is important because it kind of explains things in more of a summary uh, than what we talked about earlier. That was a little choppy. So need and demand. The need for dental services is a specific oral health problem recognized in the community. The normative need is the professionally perceived need regarding the amount of dental services required by the community to become orally healthy. And that's the normative need. The perceived need is the need for dental services that the public believes are necessary For the community to be orally healthy, it refers to the need recognized by the individual in the community. Demand occurs when individuals in the community actively seek dental services after learning of the conditions that the dental professional perceives as need use of service indicates the proportion of the community who seek professional dental treatment within a specific period of time so some of the factors that affect service use we'll go over the individual who uses dental services most regularly in the united states is a white college aged college educated sorry woman with a higher than average income, who lives in a suburban area, has dental insurance, and possesses the characteristics of good general and oral health. Age is one factor that affects the use of dental treatment. As the general population ages, use of dental services by the elderly will increase. Dental services are used least by preschoolers and most by teenagers. More females use dental services than males. So it's because we're smarter. Socioeconomic status affects the use of dental services. People near or below poverty level without dental insurance use dental services the least amount. Ethnicity seems to affect dental services use. Race and ethnicity seems to be related to socioeconomic status, cultural values, and geographic location. So differentiating which affects dental services use most is rather difficult. The ideal public dental health program should be designed to correct a Oop. widespread widespread condition that can or does cause morbidity, which is a relative incidence of disease, or mortality, which is the loss of teeth. This program should be easy to learn and dentally and medically safe for all users. It should be inexpensive, affordable, and available for most individuals regardless of socioeconomic status, education, income, race, age, or gender. It should not require dental professionals to administer it effi- efficiently. It should be accepted as a solution to individual problems by most patients and should require minimum compliance to be effective. Most importantly, the ideal program should be a valid method of controlling the incidence of the target disease. Next is establishing a, a community program. The first step for planning and implementing a community health problem is to identify the problem. There are various methods of evaluating the population to learn health status, demographics, socioeconomic status, and availability of funding, availability of facilities availability of manpower and the status of any presently ongoing programs. After data has been collected for needs assessment and availability of resources the needs must be prioritized according to the primary health problems and the target group with the greatest need. Setting broad goals and narrowing those goals to specific objectives are the next necessary step. Frequently Planners devise more than one method for meeting the needs of the population. Following the strategies for implementation and conducting the project are next. Evaluation of the efficacy of the program during the project and after it has been fully implemented provides information needed to decide to continue the project. Um, dental health programs for the community seem to bridge the gap between individuals who qualify for state and federal assistance and those who have dental insurance. Health care costs, especially dental health care costs, have risen while the dental insurance benefits have decreased. The government's contributions to dental care have, been, have remained the same without regard to increasing cost of living indices. Community healthcare administrators have been have to be more creative when seeking funding for health programs. They look for professional volunteers to provide services and donations of supplies. Local components of dental associations assesses assess the need for services and sponsor programs for their communities to provide for those needs. And those local components of dental and dental hygiene associations frequently join forces to provide dental screening and preventative care to children in a community. A day is chosen for volunteers to meet with families at a particular place. Dentists screen the children for problems and send those needing dental cleanings and sealants to the hygienist for care. Um, capitation plans A capitation plan is a contract between the providing dentist and the insurance companies. The dentist agrees to treat all the patients assigned to him or her by that company for a specific payment based on the number of patients assigned. The dentist receives that same payment each month, regardless of the number of assigned patients that are treated that month. There is understanding by the dentist and the insurance company that some patients will need a significant amount of care, while others assigned to him or her will require no care that month. The patients receive all the benefits detailed by the company and pay a small amount, called a copay, established by schedule in the contract. Dental Service Corporations originated in 1954 when a trade union joined a district dental society to provide services to children less than 14 years of age. Since that time, other non-for-profit corporations have been formed to negotiate and provide dental care contracts. The corporations are governed by the insurance laws of the state in which they are incorporated. The dental, the private dental practices sign... Contracts to provide care at group practice rates according to an established fee structure. A committee of non participating dentists conducts post treatment evaluations to ensure acceptable quality. Indemnity plans are commercial insurance plans that operate for profit. The fees are based on fees most often charged in the area. Direct reimbursement plans require the patient to pay the dentist for care and submit a record of treatment to his or her employer who reimburses the patient. These plans were designed at the community level and have grown to state or nationwide acceptance. Managed care health maintenance organizations or HMOs were developed in 1973 to lower the cost of health care by dictating specific costs for specific procedures. They have reduced health care costs by increasing ambulatory care procedures. Dental maintenance organizations usually charge a separate premium for coverage. There seems to be no difference between DMO which is a dental maintenance organization, and prepaid group fee schedules. Preferred provider organizations, PPOs, offer a contract between the provider and the organization for a predetermined fee schedule. PPO groups allow the patient to choose from a list of preferred providers who charge a lower-than-average fee for procedures. Um, Managed care organizations... Managed care organizations allow patients to choose practitioners whom they like. Public financing by federal, state, and tribal governments provide health and dental care for groups such as the military, Native Americans, and penitentiary inmates. Federal government programs. The maternal and child health services provide health and dental care for infants and children through WIC and Head Start programs medicaid since 1965 is a joint federal and state program that provides oral health care for individuals less than 21 years of age medicare provides insurance protection for disabled individuals or those 65 years of age and older but this program excludes dental care medicare will pay for oral maxillofacial problems that relate to a medical condition the national health services Corps deploys commissioned officers and civil service employees to areas that are underserved by healthcare workers. State health agencies provide preventative and emergency dental care to children less than 18 years of age. They provide limited restorative care. Limiting managed care organizations the simple answer is that managed care organizations of all kinds pay less for any procedure than private insurance or patients who pay cash the fee schedules are set to reimburse the practice for costs of supplies and overhead with very little compensation for the dentist or hygienist skills and time some dental practices try to see more patients per day to offset the lower fees other practices add more patients to the assignment list and hope that very few of them require major work. Some practices limit the number of managed care patients that are seeing each day and schedule major work for private insurance patients to balance the income. Scientific information slash results. and I'm not going to put all of this on here. Some of it is going to fall under statistics, so we'll switch over to that for the rest. Um, Considering scientific information. Since the community is the patient and the dental health provider cannot properly care for his or her patient without knowing what the patient needs, the hygienist must collect and analyze information about the patient. The information about the patient must be collected in a manner that can be duplicated. Following scientific collection protocol is the only way That information about a large group can be verified and validated. When he or she analyzes the information collected, the hygienist can see areas of concern that are common to a majority of the individuals in the community. The community is the patient and treatment is chosen to benefit the community but individuals are considered as well. Some of the factors affecting community health. The health of a community is affected by host concerns such as age, gender, race, and immune system efficacy. A community with an average of 60 years has different concerns than a community with an average of 30 years. The amount of sun exposure the individual has, the pollutants in the air and water, and the presence of radiation, if any, affect the health of an individual and therefore the community. A community located near the equator with direct sunlight all year has more concerns about the damages of radiation from the sun than the community in Norway or Alaska. Lifestyle considerations such as education, socioeconomic status, and cultural mores, drug and alcohol consumption, and diet have a dynamic effect on individuals and communities. Now I'm just going to go through some of the important things that are in the review from school um let's see what's important here private practice versus public health so in private private practice an examination is the same as a survey or a needs assessment uh, private practice, a diagnosis is the same as analysis in public health. In private practice, treatment planning is the same as program planning in public health. Treatment in private is the same as operation pro- program operation in public. Payment in private is the same as program funding in public, and evaluation in private is the same as evaluation in public. Some of the things that we have already gone over but they're really important is the um, categories of prevention. You have primary, secondary, and tertiary. Primary prevention forestall the onset of disease to reverse the progress of disease or to arrest the disease process before secondary treatment is even necessary. So primary prevention is the very first step, it's like um, getting your teeth cleaned, and uh, learning about fluoride, and learning about home care. Secondary prevention is routine treatment methods to terminate a disease process and or to restore tissues to as near normal as possible. So, secondary, you already have a disease and you're coming in routinely for maintenance. Tertiary is efforts to replace lost tissues and to rehabilitate patients to as near normal as possible after the failure of secondary prevention. So, secondary prevention didn't work. Your patient has uh, missing teeth. Tertiary would be giving that patient implants or... Um, a bridge or a partial or something like that. What is the difference between health education and health promotion? Health education is the teaching of health behaviors that bring an individual to a state of health awareness. Health promotion is informing and motivating people to adopt health behaviors. And this goes beyond just education. Now we're just going to talk briefly about the learning theory Called the Health Belief Model. Um, I, there's like five learning theories, but I feel like this one is the only one that's. If it's on, if any of them are going to be on boards, it'll be this one. So the Health Belief Model, popular among health companies, useful in predicting the likelihood of individuals' compliance with preventative health behaviors. This is the intrapersonal model. So, this is within the individual, the person's values and beliefs. Um, Their behavior is directed by perceptions and beliefs of susceptibility, severity, benefits, benefits versus barriers, and cost versus benefits. It's the same thing. So, you have the person's perceived susceptibility, severity, benefits, and barriers. Perceived susceptibility is one's opinion of chances of getting a condition. So, it's like talking to a patient who's uh, young and having unprotected sex. And they say, I'm safe. I only have clean partners. Perceived severity is one's opinion of how serious a condition is. So, it's like them saying, having an STD might really affect me. So, it's how the patient perceives how serious the condition is perceived benefits is one's opinion of how effective the action will be to reduce risk or severity so it's like define action to take explain positive effects to be expected and then the last one is perceived barriers this is one's opinion of the financial or psychological costs of the advised action so here You explain and minimize the barriers, reassurance, incentives, assistance, and correct any uh, misinformation that the patient might have. And that's the only theory that we're going to go through. But we'll talk about the financing part um, party system to dental service. So the first party is the dentist. In some states, it's also the RDH. The second party is the patient. The third party is the insurance company or government, if the patient has Medicaid or Medicare. The fourth party is the employer. So, first party is the dentist. Second party is the patient. Third party is the insurance company or Medicaid or government. Fourth party is the employer. And fee-for-service is a two-party system. This is where... There are out-of-pocket payments that are made. So this is someone that doesn't have insurance, I'm assuming. So it's a traditional two-party system between the dentist and the patient. Um, Out-of-pocket payment. The advantage is that the patient can go to any dentist. It's culturally acceptable, flexible, simple. No interference in the patient-doctor relationship from the insurance uh, company. The disadvantage is that people may not be able to afford care. Less dentistry is purchased because the cost is higher to the patient, so it can lead to health disparities. Out-of-pocket expenses for dental care is higher than for medical care, and more people have medical insurance than dental insurance. The types of -of out-of-pocket spending are fee-for-service, deductible, copayment, and coinsurance, and also in network and out of network so fee for service is out of pocket dental insurance plans dental insurance is the third party they have indemnity dental insurance plans or also called traditional plans and they have direct reimbursement which is dr next is the managed care plans which is lower so this is like insurance. It's a little lower, but they have uh, the PPOs and the capitation plans. PPOs are the preferred providers' organizations and then cap- capitation plans. And then you also have the government, the government payment plans like Medicaid and Medicare. So fee-for-service, dental insurance plans, managed care plans, and then the government payment plans. So, we'll talk about insurance. The third party, which is still insurance, is usually provided through employers, which is the fourth party, the employer paid, employee paid, or a combo of each, often available as a benefit to a job or in addition to their pay. So, we'll start with the traditional indemnity plans. You have UCR, which is Usual, Customary, and Reasonable. They have a table of allowances, which is a flat amount for a dental fee. The patient is responsible to cover the remainder of the bill. Then we have a fixed fee schedule, which is a flat amount for a dental bill, but the patient cannot be billed for the remainder of the bill. So table of allowances or a fixed fee schedule. Um, the preferred provider organization is a closed panel, and managed care is capitation check. Direct reimbursement is where the patient gets dental work done, pays for it, gets reimbursed by the employer, which is a fourth party. And then Medicare is financed by the federal government. You have Part A, Part B, Part D. Part A covers hospital care, some nursing home care, and hospice services. You get automatic enrollment at 65 years old. You get an annual deductible, and you have copays. Part B is doctor services prevention and outpatient care. Optional enrollment, monthly premium deducted from Social Security check. Or you have Part D, which is prescription coverage, and this is optional enrollment, but there is no dental coverage in Medicare. Next is Medicaid. Financed by federal and state government based on family, income, and age. says EPSDT, which I don't know what that means. Um, There is some dental coverage for Medicaid, but I don't know how much. And then we have S-CHIP, which is, I think, in Kentucky. It says it broadens the income eligibility guidelines to include working poor. So now it's going to get into more detail about the third part, the insurance plans. So, the fee schedule is a list of established charges a dentist agrees to for specific dental services. The dentist must accept the established amount as payment in full and not charge the patient the difference. UCR, usual, customary, and reasonable. Usual means the fee usually charged by the provider. Customary, the range of fees charged by similar providers in a specific geographic area. And then reasonable. Um, It's a fee charged by the dentist for a specific procedure that has been modified based on special circumstances. So this fee is different than usual or customary fee. The insurance company pays UCR or agreed upon percentage if fee does not surpass what was filed. Table of allowances is a schedule of allowances or indemnity schedule. The insurer provides a list of covered services with an assigned dollar amount. This set amount is the total obligation of the plan. The set fee may or may not represent the provider's full fee for the service. A discounted fee through a preferred provider organization or a PPO is a managed care organization or medical doctors, hospitals, dentists, and other health care provider. They have an agreement with an insurance insurer or third-party administrator to provide services at a reduced rate. Providers agree to a reduced fee rate. These fees are usually lower than normal fees in the area. Capitation. This is dental benefit program in which the dentist contracts with an insurer, insurance company to provide all or most dental services. It's covered under the plan. In return, dentists will receive payment on a per capita basis. The capitation fee is a fixed monthly payment based on the number of patients assigned to the dentist for treatment. Patients must be assigned to specific dentists. The assigned dentist will receive the fixed payment per month regardless of dental utilization. And then there's the sliding fee schedule. The fee is adjusted based on family size and income. Services must be provided to patients regardless of the ability to pay may be subsidized by grant funding most often found in community health centers and federally qualified health centers and next it gets into the two dental insurance plans you have the indemnity and the direct and then indemnity dental insurance plan is also known as the traditional i feel like i'm being very repetitive but it's better so that we can memorize it um traditional is a type of Fee for service. The contract is between the patient and the insurer, and it's an open panel, so you they have a freedom of choice. The members or patients pay in full, then submit a claim. Pays the patient for the financial loss for receiving dental care. If actuarial projection for premium is too low, the insurance company loses. If correct, they make money. And then the direct reimbursement, it's where the patient gets the dental work done at any office, pays for the work, and is reimbursed by the employer. So, for direct reimbursement, the contract is between the employer and the employee. Strong support of dental associations. It's primarily marketed to smaller employers. Okay. <clears throat> the managed care plans, you have the preferred provider organization, or PPOs. They have discounted fees. The dentist contract with insurer to provide dental services at a reduced cost in exchange for increased patient base. Reimbursement, uh, they do the table of allowances and sign contracts accepting the fees full payment and cannot charge the patient the difference um, after that. And then the capitation plans is the DMOs, the Dental Maintenance Organization, which is, oh, and health maintenance organizations and managed care plans. So the capitation plans is the DMOs, the HMOs, and the MCPs. Contractual arrangement between the dentist and the plan. Reimbursement is through capitation, which is a money A monthly amount per person enrolled at the office. So they receive a cap check, and it's not dependent on utilization. Okay, dental public programs, publicly financed programs. The government is the third party instead of insurance. In okay, let's see. Nineteen thirty-five, the Social Security act to provide income maintenance for elderly was not for financing health care the payments actually went to the recipient so this is like their social security check that they receive every month to actually pay their bills in 1965 the social security amendment gave us Medicare which is health care for all persons age 65 and older regardless of their income People under 65 with very specific disabilities, and Medicaid for indigent and medically indigent people. 1997, the Social Security Amendments gave a state children's insurance, health insurance program to expand coverage to more low income children and Medicare. So the 1997 Social Security Amendments had three components Part A, Part B, and Part D. I don't think I'll get into those. Uh, Medicare. Dental care specifically excluded except for dental services needed by hospitalized patients for jaw fractures. Preparation of oral and pharyngeal cancer patients for radiation slash Oral exam prior to renal transplant surgery or heart valve replacement. And no coverage for routine dentistry or dentures. Medicaid is a joint federal and state funding amount paid based on per capita income of state. Eligibility standards vary state to state and it's based on the family income level and age. Okay. Medicaid in Kentucky has six different programs. Let's talk about the S chip. Pur- purpose is to broaden income eligibility guidelines for health insurance coverage for children. Can expand Medicaid to cover more children or create new insurance program. Targets children at age 19. The working poor. Head Start is a federally funded program started in 1965 to provide health and social services to underprivileged. Preschool children to better prepare them for school. Targets low-income children ages 3 to 5. And then studying dental diseases. Epidemiological research. The student of disease and health and different social phenomena as they occur naturally in society. So the study of diseases, not the student of. So you have a few different ones. We have cross-sectional, case control, and cohort. Cross-sectional examines variable of interest and disease occurrence at one point in time. Cross-sectional, or case control, I mean, is to examine association between disease occurrence and past exposure of variable of interest. And then cohort, which follows people over time. It's a longitudinal study to detect disease development. A couple of terms here, we have incidence and prevalence. Incidence is how quickly a disease is spreading. Data is collected in two points in time. And we have prevalence, which is how widespread a disease is in a group of people. The data is collected at one point in time. Levels of data, most... uh, They use indices. Most indices are ordinal, level, except the DMF index. Um, Characteristics of a good index. Clear, simple, objective, valid, reliable, quantifiable, sensitive, acceptable. And they're usually uh, reversible or irreversible. And we're going to talk about those indices. I'm not actually going to go over the whole list that I have found in every book. I'm only going to go over the combined list. And that is already on this recording, but I'll do it quicker and more clear now. So we have the plaque indices gingival indices, perio indices, and the dental caries indices. The plaque indices, they're all reversible. You have the plaque index called the PI created by Silness and low used in conjunction with the gingival index of course plaque according to its thickness at the gingival margin. Then we have the PHP, personal hygiene performance index. Um, it measures plaque after brushing. So this one assesses the patient's skill level. Then we have the oral hygiene index for small or large groups. It's reversible, they're all reversible. Measures oral hygiene status by assessing sub and super plaque slash calculus. Next is the gingival indices. These are reversible as well. We have gingival index, GI. This one is most frequently used. Can be used for individuals and groups based on severity versus extent of inflammation. And then the SBI, which is the Sulcus Bleeding Index, uh, bleeding observations made by gentle probing, probing, detects early signs of gingivitis. Next is the perioindices. The PDI, Periodontal Disease Index, created by Ramford for individual and group uh, studies, This one is actually reversible and irreversible because it measures perio and gingivitis separately. The next one is the periodontal index, the PI. This one, created by Russell, is irreversible. It just looks at the surrounding tissue. Um, Validity is questionable for the periodontal index because no clinical attachment loss is included. So, that's a limitation. And also, all you're doing really is just looking at the period period disease status. So, this one, irreversible. The next one is the CPITN, Community Periodontal Index of Treatment Needs. This is developed by WHO, the WHO. It requires a special probe, which is a limitation to this indices. Um, it determines the periodontal needs versus the periodontal status. The last one for perio is the PSR, the periodontal screening and recording. This rapidly assesses periodontal health, useful in large populations, and as a preliminary screening technique. Um, Probing depth and evaluating the need for further perio treatment this requires the special WHO probe as well, which is also a limitation. The dental caries indices. This one is irreversible. So in permanent teeth, all of the letters are capitalized and it's DMFT and DMFS. So, and that stands for missing filled, missing or filled teeth because of cavities and it stands for decayed missing filled teeth or decayed missing filled surfaces so that's one for uh, permanent teeth and it's exactly the same for primary teeth yeah but we're going to go through it just the same so the primary teeth those letters are all lowercase if the patient has a mixed dentition you just record them separately, and you don't add them, don't combine them. Um, so for kids, it's lowercase everything. D-E-F-T slash D-E-F-S, which is Decayed extracted, Extraction Needed Filled Teeth and Decayed Extraction Needed Filled Surfaces. So that's that one. The next one is the DMFT or DMFS, which is decayed missing before its time, filled teeth, or decayed missing fill, missing before its time, and filled surfaces. And then the last one is DFT and DFS, which is decayed filled teeth or decayed filled surfaces. And, because this is the dental caries indices, the last one that's on here, and I hope it hasn't been too confusing, is root caries index, which is RCI. The risk and extent of root, hold on, the risk and extent of root caries is irreversible and requires recession. So, if the patient doesn't have a recession, then they can't have a root caries index. Um, Canberra, C-A-M-B-R-A, is a carries risk assessment form. Okay, and here's some more definitions. Acute uh, is a short and quick disease. A chronic disease is a long and drawn out over a lifetime. Um, epidem- ep- Epidemic is an unexpectedly large case of a disease within a time frame. An endemic is an expected regularly recurring disease at a low level, such as spring allergies or hay fever. A pandemic is a larger case, and it's widespread. Mortality defines death rates. Morbidity are disease states who are unhealthy. And natality is children and their birth rates. There's two types of epidemiological research, which is more into statistics, but we can talk about it briefly. So there's two types, descriptive and analytical. Descriptive is more like case studies. Analytical is more, so there's two, analytical, you have experimental, which I went into on statistics, and then observational. Observational is the cohort, case control, and cross-sectional studies that I gave the definitions for earlier. And cohort, you want to think future. The cohort studies follow people over time to detect disease development in relationship to being exposed to variable of interest. A cohort is a group of people from whom data are collected on two or more occasions, a.k.a. a prospective study. So you're looking into the future. can be compared to groups without exposure, used to establish incidents and confirm risk factors. An example is a fluoride study. They followed the people over the time to see if it did what it was supposed to. Next is case control. In a case control... Two groups are compared observationally. One, people with a disease or condition. This is the case. And two, people without it. This is the control. And this comparison determines factors that can be associated with it. It's used to identify risk indicators. And then we have the cross-sectional, which is cross-section of the population observed at one point in time. So this is the snapshot one. Examine variable of interest and disease status simultaneously to see if they are associated with each other now we're going to talk about utilization of dental services we have we've gone through this already too but these terms Need is professionally defined as the type or amount of care needed and available for optimal health. Perceived need is the type or amount of care patients feel they need. Potential demand, which is the want. This is the desire to receive dental care to address the need. And then utilization, the demand. Uh, This is the population or the percent of people actually seeking services so it's a percent of population visiting the dentist within one year and the average number of visits per person per year so the next thing in here is fluoride but I'm going to do that on a separate recording and we will talk about program planning in community dental health so Like I said, I'm being very repetitive because I'm going through several different books. But this is the dad pie is what we're getting into. The dental hygiene process of care. So that is document, assess, diagnose, plan, implement, and evaluate. Okay, so assessment is the first, because they leave documentation out, which screws me up. So assessment, systemic approach to identify the problem or community needs and resources. And we do an assessment because we want to, this is very important, obtain baseline data for planning, program evaluation, and determination of changes in disease trends It identifies extent, and severity of the need, the basis for writing object- objectives, and the basis for evaluation. And you're measuring the population profile, the epidemiology, existing programs, community leadership, the human element, the resources, and the fluoride, like in the water, you know, what are these people doing? You have two different types of data to collect, the quantitative evaluation and the qualitative evaluation. Quantitative is objective data that can be measured. Because it's quantitative, numerically presents the size of a population. Which is like you're going to measure with incidence, prevalence, black scores, um, and indices. And then qualitative evaluation is data which reflects quality of things that cannot be measured or analyzed. Um. And then the screening classifications type one through four so type one has the most stuff type four has the least amount so type one is a complete exam using a mirror explorer radiographs pulp vitality study models but for like community programs this one is rarely used because it's so expensive and time consuming Um, So with each type, they get less. Type 2, limited exam, using a mirror explorer, um, posterior bite wings. And then type 3 is just an inspection, using a mirror explorer and light. And that's it. This is the most common one in a public health setting because it's like, covers the most ground for the the least amount of money and time. And then the fourth one is just a limited screening with a tongue depressor and a light. And this only identifies uh, the larger needs, and it's becoming more increasingly common. And the next one is diagnose. So this, you are trying to figure out what you're going to do. So you find out what the problems affecting the largest number of people are and yeah so it's just deciding what what do you need to address what's going to help the community more And then the five components of that is what The extent that you're going to do who, where, and when. And, yeah, so you're just going to, you're diagnosed, you made a blueprint, you have a goal, which is the broad statement of what program you'll accomplish. And then next is planning. So, you're going to identify the methods to work towards your goals. So now you're actually preparing the blueprint. You're preparing the plans. You're going over the constraints and the alternatives. Then is implementation. And this is when you begin operating your program. And then last is evaluation. And each each objective must be measured and evaluated. So it's to measure the progress towards meeting your objectives and you have to gather the data to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be. The, you know, the quantitative data, which is the pre-test, post-test exams, and dental indices. And then the qualitative, which are like surveys, interviews, and personal statements. The types of evaluations, you have formative and summative. Formative is internal, examines the program activities as they take place. Is program operating smoothly or changes needed? And then Summative evaluates the success of the program after it has occurred and where the objectives will be accomplished. So and the evaluation mechanisms need to be valid and reliable. And that is it for community dental health. And the next one will be on fluoride.